when we start showing people the power of applied critical thinking, the power of group think mitigation, the power of red team thinking, a lot of people who have kids immediately go to how do we teach this to young people. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Hello and welcome to the show. We have a rare episode today in that I'm here in the studio with my partner in crime, Marcus Dimbleby. Indeed. And producer Sam. Who Hello. has stepped from behind the scenes? I was forced into the limelight, but oh, I'm here. Oh, happily. God. I was happily <laughs> here to get you on the show. Today. You know, we've been trying to get Sam to be part of the show in front of the camera for a long time. Sam is shy, but Sam always has the best questions, the best comments, the best insights. After every show, we talk with Sam. And he's like, oh, that, you know, that was really interesting. You know, I was thinking about this. I'm like, well, it would be great if you had asked us that during the show. So now, Sam, here you are. Yeah, you, yeah. you're on the spotlight. Well, yeah. I mean, two episodes ago, you guys were talking about a document or a report that came out where the highest, most valuable skills at the moment is going to be critical thinking and analytical thinking. Mm -hmm. So if that's going to be the future, I'm wondering what red team thinking looks like in the future with that report taken into account. So I want to throw that question into the room. A massively successful and profitable enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> Done and dusted. That's the end of the podcast. Quality from yourself. No, you know, seriously. I mean, that the reason we share that, and that report was from the World Economic Forum. The reason we share that is because it really does speak to the fact that, that there is a growing perception that what's needed in the world today is applied critical thinking, creative thinking, problem solving skills. And there's, we shared another report, which was from uh, a McKinsey survey that showed that those are the same skills that HR professionals have the hardest time finding in, in new hires. And the reason is because people aren't trained in these skills anymore. They used to be, it used to be part of a classical Western education, but today, you know, folks teach to the test, they, you know, they focus on on hard skills. Yeah, tick box learning. Yeah, and the, the and 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 so what we provide is training in these these necessary critical thinking, groupthink mitigation, problem solving skills, and I think that that just makes what we do all the more relevant. Yeah, totally. And I was on LinkedIn this morning. There was a survey out in the Guardian saying that right now they call it Scary Sundays. That under 40s, and they had like 18 to 24, 24 to 32, and 32 to 40, those age groups are having high mental stress levels, uh, fear of returning to work on the Monday, and they were turning to social media, turning to binge TV, turning to eating. And I think a lot of this boils down to what I call is emotional incontinence. It's a great <laughs> phrase from Professor Gad Sad. And it's this inability for people to think critically. 
which is why this is in such high demand. And if you look at the way the world's going, the way the world has gone, and where it's likely to go in the future with this constant complexity, congested workspace that we're in, and this evolution that we've seen over the last 20 years of digital and technology. We were having a conversation when we were with a, a potential client in Oman this morning, AI. It's all very well having this technology and using AI, and that advances your capabilities, your company, but if you're not bringing your people with that same pace of change, then that's going to either take over or you're going to lose the ability to use it effectively because it's just a tool. And I think people get seduced by this technology and certainly with the AI, ChatGBT, we've seen that. And we're having lots of good conversation with Oliver Yonchev, who we spoke to previously on the podcast, who did a great talk about AI there. This revelation that we need people back in the mix. And I think that's a really stark revelation from that World Economic Forum. It was the same in 2020. Critical thinking was number one. 2023, critical thinking, creative and analytical thinking. And that pushes to 2027. And remember on there, number three was AI and big data. So it's a real revelation for me that it's showing that combination of the thinking and the technology has to come together. And if we don't train for that, and if we don't bring our people along on the journey to upskill them with that capability, we are going to see stress. We are going to see burnout. We are seeing it now. And I think that's how we put the brakes on that and start to let people start to take control of their own thinking and destiny. Right. And so all these skills that you guys are seeing as the future of the workplace, how do we build those skills for people that are already in the workplace or how do we build them as, you know, young, up and coming potential future leaders? Red team thinking. And I, I, I don't just say that out of shameless self-promotion, though I guess it is shameless self-promotion. But I mean, that is that is literally what we teach. We teach people how to think. We teach people how to think critically we teach people how to think for themselves. And that's that's what's needed, is we need, what is the name of the podcast? Is The Thinking Leader, Red Team TV on, on YouTube, but, but on, on, on audio, thinking, The Thinking Leader. And that, you know, the name is, is it does what it says on the bin. It's helping people become thinking leaders. We need thinking leaders today. I just spent last week uh, with the US Army uh, in Germany doing a, a, a workshop with the 7th Army Training Command, which is responsible for training all, all military training for the U.S. and its allies in Europe and Africa. And the focus of the workshop was what, what do we need to, what is the skills, in particular the leadership skills that the Army is going to need and that these folks are going to have to train folks for in 2030, 2035, and 2040. And it all comes down to the ability to think on your feet, the ability to think critically, the ability to pivot rapidly, the ability to be comfortable with ambiguity, the ability to be agile with a lowercase a, to, to be able to bob and weave as, as the world changes around you. These are the exact skills that we're teaching people every single day. And, uh, you know, it's I introduced some of these red team red teaming skills at, at this workshop. And so many, particularly of the younger officers, which I think is interesting and telling, yeah, very that it was it was the 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 majors and the lieutenant colonels, and even a couple of the captains who were at the workshop came up to me and said, "This is exactly what we need in our organization. This is this is we need permission to think for ourselves." And you know, this is the the thing is 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 if you don't give people permission. A, you're missing a trick because that's what's needed. But B, 
you know, you're, you're, you're going to lose those people. And that's why we see so much quiet quitting. That's so much why we see so much, you know, the great resignation, whatever you want to call it, is people not feeling engaged. And so it's, it's almost a twofer. You need these skills. You need these capabilities to deal with the world. But you also need to give people the permission to use these skills and use these capabilities if you want to keep them as employees. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And I love the fact that a younger generation are not only wanting, but demanding this. And this is where you're seeing that in, if you're out there as a company now wondering how you differentiate, you don't need to pay your people more. You need to give them the personal and professional development that they want and the ability to speak up, the ability to make a difference. And we've talked about this before. Nobody gets out of bed in the morning wanting to come to work to do the minimum. They want to come to work to be recognized, to do good stuff, to be proud of what they achieve with good people. And it goes back to your original question, Sam, how do we enable this? So again, Bryce was with 7th Army last week. I was back in London, not even three weeks ago, working with Aviva. They got a new leader in their team. He wanted to enable the team to think differently. And just as a spin-off of that, you know, when we say we're not thinking, we don't mean people don't think. We have thousands of thoughts a day. But we don't critically think by default as humans. We just don't. That's a fact. And we can prove that with all the psychology and the training. And Daniel Kahneman uh, does a lot of investigation into that in the book, Thinking Fast and Slow. So if we're not thinking critically, we are tending to find ourselves reacting. We take a knee-jerk reaction rather than what we're looking for is a response, which is thoughtful, considered. And Kahneman talks about system one, which is intuitive and gut reactive, where system two is far more logical and thoughtful. So if you're a team leader, you get your team thinking that way. You get your team pausing for thought, engaging with each other in a collaborative, collegial way, rather than an offensive, attacking way, which is invariably what happens in toxic organizations. Then you're going to get far more of an effective response from a group. You're going to see the engagement levels rise. And we talk about surveys, the Gallup poll, 23% of engagement, 13% in Europe, lowest in the globe. So again, if you can increase engagement in your people, then you're going to increase innovation, you're going to increase buy-in of thought, and you're going to get better outcomes. And therefore, you as a leader can extract yourself higher. You can move up to the strategic level where you should be. You can take out the long screwdriver, you can stop micromanaging, you can trust your people to do good stuff. So that's how you do it in the workplace. Going back to how the younger start, we're looking at how do we get RTT into education? How do we enable children today to do what they're best at, to be curious, to keep asking why, not stop when you're six, keep going throughout your life and don't jump on that conformity conveyor belt we talk about. How can we help the curriculum in all countries educate children of how they can think, challenge, be creative and continue to do that without falling out with each other? And the kids are the best little argumentative souls in the world. It's fostering that ability and enabling that to come through the higher education into the workplace and then grow that leadership potential. Because as we know, talking about more statistics, 70% of all these big change and transformation programs are failing. Number one cause leadership. Because the poor individuals who get to that point of becoming a leader, an executive, at what point were they trained until they get to that point? Right. And we talked about this in the last episode that I recorded when I was in Germany. One of the best comments uh, which was from Dr. Jim Greer, who's who's a, a professor at, at the U.S. Army's School of Advanced Military Studies, SAMS. Um, <laughs> he said, you know, the one thing you can't do is come around in 2035 when, you know, 
Joe, who who was a lieutenant, you know, now becomes a lieutenant colonel, and and give Joe a week long workshop and how to be a leader to make up for all the training you didn't do between now and twenty thirty five. Now is the time to invest in your leaders. So I want to go back to something you said about education, though, and it's really interesting because I think we're seeing more and more of of this in our work that when we start showing people the power of applied critical thinking, the power of groupthink mitigation, the power of red team thinking, a lot of people who have kids immediately go to how do we teach this to young people? And that happened at, at uh, you know, in uh, Fullendorf where I, where I was in Germany. After my first presentation, the first Q&A session we had, the first question, woman raised her hand and said, how do I teach this to my children? And this is this is a military workshop, and I was I was surprised, but I wasn't that that was the first question. Not only that, I looked out over the audience, some seventy, you know, fairly senior army officers, and I saw you know about a third of them nodding their head, yeah. like, "Yeah, tell us," you know, yeah. Because people, when they see this, they immediately get that this is something I would like to instill in my children. Because, you know, it's it's interesting. I remember in the United States, gosh, this would have been about. So this would have been about. 15 years ago, um, 16 years ago, there was a there was a big push, at least where I was at the time I was living in Michigan, home of the auto industry. And there was a big push by uh, folks who were saying, if you want to set your kids up for success, have them learn Mandarin in school, because that will give them a big edge in the global economy that's coming if they can speak Mandarin. And some of the several of the the, the wealthier school districts in Southeast Michigan, where the auto industry is based, started offering Mandarin classes. And that's because people recognize that this was an essential skill if you wanted to set your kid up to succeed. Well, I think that now people are seeing just like it's the same thing as, you know, the the World Economic Forum survey is a survey of CEOs, but you don't have to be a CEO to know that the skills that are going to be essential for your kids to succeed in the world that they're going to enter are applied critical thinking, are creative thinking, are problem solving. Those are the skills. And you know what? When you go and you learn, you know, how to how to succeed on the standardized test, you don't learn those skills. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. And, and these parents are seeing it. I've seen it in my children. You see your child struggling with the world today. Social media feeds, not the whole dilemma of when do you give a kid a phone? When do they get access to TikTok? When do they get access to all these social media platforms? And then you see the, how that impacts them. And it's, you know, are they the black sheep of the family at school because everyone's got it, but they don't? And you've got to you know, really delicately balance that. So if you can help your child understand how to play in that arena, and they have to learn. Yeah. Because if you don't, they're going to go face down in the sand. And it's really hard. So I think anybody who sees these tools and techniques and can see, again, what's our secret source? It's this pedagogical approach we have. It's not the tools. It's how you use them. What do we talk about? Instant applicability, immediate efficacy, and you can share it and train it the next day. So if you can take this home tomorrow, teach your kid, think, right, share. Teach your kid how to have a better argument with a teacher or a colleague or a classmate or with yourself. Again, be careful what you wish for, parents listening. I've done this. I can't win an argument anymore with my kids, but that's all good because you're making them better people and better effective humans. Then I think that's why these people are seeing the penny drop when you talk about these things in whatever sessions we're in, because people want to help others themselves and their children. So getting this into that level of education 
how and when we do that is part of our roadmap. But I think that's one of the ways we make this a thing. So I think this is an important. I, I would like to talk more about this. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking about how to teach your kids to be critical thinkers. Hey, folks, Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. Welcome back. Well, this was an intense conversation. Marcus, you look like you've run a marathon here. This is such an intense it's hot. conversation. I'm used to Cyprus heat, and here I am sweating in London. It's, you know, this is another thing that you got a red team, climate disruption. It's, it's mid-September in <laughs> London, and it is as balmy as the tropics right now. Uh, but uh, going back to, to what we said, what we were talking about before the break, you know, Marcus, you, you brought up this this notion that you can't take kids' phones away. You know, if, if you do that, you're setting then then they're just going to have a shock when when they, when they get them. You can't protect your kids from technology from society. But what you can do, and what I think you should do, if you're a responsible parent, is use all of this as an opportunity to teach your kids to be critical thinkers, to filter the information they get. And that means sitting down with your kids and, and looking at what they're looking at and, and discussing it with them and helping them filter, you know, this is someone's opinion versus this is this is an objective fact. And here's how you tell the difference. This is, you know, what is the motivation of this person saying this to you? You know, why, why do you think you're getting this message? That sort of thing. So they become critical consumers of information because that will stand them in good stead for the rest of their lives and also protect them from a lot of the, the crap that's out there. The problem though, is that requires you to be an active parent. It requires you to be invested in your kid's life. And, you know, I, I hear so many parents go like, oh, the internet's so full of these horrible things. And I don't know what little Jimmy or little Jane is getting up to. Well, you know, there's a way to find out. It's called being in the room with them when they're using the computer and looking over their shoulder, you know, it's having time. a conversation with them. And, you know, a lot of times the parents who are concerned about their kids' consumption of social media are the same ones that are sitting there on their phones yeah. consuming yeah. social media you, instead you of You see parenting. it now, don't you? You see it today. You go to the parks. Before I left St. Albans, I'd walk through the park to get a coffee in the morning. You'd see the dads there pushing the kids on the swing. And they were the <laughs> funniest one ever I saw. Some dads doing this and the kids going for it. And the dad sort of doesn't pay attention. The swing came back and hit him under the chin. And I thought, <laughs> you deserve that. Because, That's a wake-up call. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not actively parenting. And there's a chap called Liam Maguire, ex-army chap who I engage with a lot on LinkedIn. And he's very focused on the child element of training and education. And it goes back to, as you said, there's absent parenting. You can't use, and the problem is you're using this technology to fob off your child, to quiet them. There you go. There's the iPad. Yeah. Go and be quiet while mummy or daddy go and does something else or uses their own, as you said, use their own tape yeah. for their own use. So it's this vicious circle that the kid therefore sees the behavior that you don't want to have in your child instilled. So as you said, it just take that time out, sit down with your child, walk through some of the things they're looking at, explain to them what they're seeing, and then they can start to understand that, as you said, a lot of crap you're going to see coming through 
you can start to filter properly and understand and challenge it. Use it as a question point to go, okay, why, am I, why is that being said? Where else can I back that up? Where else can I find news? Because there's news coming through TikTok that is valid news. Right. There's other stuff coming from the main media that isn't and everything in between. So you've got to really help children now disseminate and talk about TMI. I don't need too much information right. incoming to us all nowadays in this VUCA world. So how do you help them just take the time out, slow down to think, to analyze and be creative with what their mind's doing, I think, and really assess it. But it comes back to parenting. Yeah. And then I would zoom the camera out even farther. You know, when we were here, last time I was in London was was last summer, summer of 2022. Last time you and I were, were together. And um, we did a conference, at, not a conference, we did a conversation. I guess it was technically considered a fireside chat at, at Whitehall um, with about 30 very senior government folks. And 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 one of the, the folks in the room asked me, you know, same question, you know, like, this is great. We need this in government, but how, how could we get these same skills taught to our children? And I said, because of the, the folks, the level of the folks who were in the room, I said, well, it's, you know, you're actually in a position if you wanted to, where you could make this type of, and I don't mean hiring red team thinking to do it. I'm just saying taking applied critical thinking and make it part of the national curriculum again. It's within your power. It's within your ability to do it, but it requires you as, as, as folks working in the Ministry of Education to do more than teach to standardized test. It requires you to, 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 to hold teachers accountable for actually teaching real skills yeah. to students rather than checking boxes, giving out photocopied homework that you know is from some standardized lesson plan that doesn't require any thought at all and, and, and just really is a way of keeping kids busy and occupied, you know, till the bell goes, till the bell goes. Yeah. You know, there's great education happening out there all over the world, but it's the exception rather than the norm. And that's the problem. It is. You don't sort of see anything of that nature until you get to university where like my daughter's in debate club. It's too late. You know, teach your kids this throughout their school career. There used to be too. There used to be, at least in the United States, there used to be debate clubs at every high school. By the time I, when I entered high school, the first high school I went to, there was still a debate club. By the time I graduated from high school, there was no debate clubs anymore. It's all fallen by the wayside. It's boring. Don't want to do it. Well, because it's not been structured, but it's not been run well. Yeah. Again, it's like parenting. If you're running these clubs as a youth leader, as a teacher, who are the best teachers you all remember from school? The ones who engaged us. Yeah. Not the ones who taught us the best stuff or were the best teacher, but the ones who made you feel engaged, who you remember participating. And I think that's really important whether you're a parent, a teacher, an instructor. It's really valuable to do that because that's how you get the best response. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delve into controversial territory here, but it, it needs to be said. You know, at least in the United States, the problem with, with education is that much of, much of education is dictated not by experts on education, but by the teachers union. And by making sure that the lowest common denominator can succeed, that the that the 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 lowest teacher on the you know the worst equipped teacher can can get passing marks and stay employed, and that's ridiculous. That's putting the, I mean, if there's anything about putting the cart before the horse, it's 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 that. And there was a great documentary that was released in the United States several years ago, became very popular called Waiting for Superman, 
and it's it's very powerful. And and the and the name is that you know the 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 they were talking about the best schools. You know, there's places schools in places like New York and Los Angeles and stuff that have have magnet schools that are doing things differently that are really teaching. But it's so hard to get into those schools. And they're, they're, the name came from a comment made by a little kid who is from an immigrant family in New York and was trying desperately to get in, into the lottery to get into one of the few really good public schools in New York. And and they asked the, the little kid, you know, like, what do you think is going to happen? He said, maybe Superman will come in and, and get me in. But <laughs> I mean, that's man. the sad thing is, is yeah, that's what the thing. Belief. Meanwhile, yeah. they were, were showing how, how the teachers union in New York spends all this time protecting bad teachers and making sure that the standards are set low enough that teachers don't get in trouble for not teaching. Whereas the schools that are doing great are completely the opposite. It's all focused on educating the children and it requires the teachers to guess what? Step up. Actually teach. Yeah. There's to, a bar that's set higher than right. ground level. And that's the thing is that is that the, the, the whole shift to standardized testing is not about teaching kids. It's about managing teachers. This goes back to something we talk about, sheep-like passivity and the acceptance of mediocrity. Yeah. That's the kind of societal issues I think we're facing into now is that people accept a low bar. Right. Personally, professionally, educationally. And we know where, where that takes you. You know, as a nation, as a society, that only leads to bad outcomes. Amen. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the thing is like all of these problems that we have, education, homelessness, drugs, these are all happening because people let them happen, because people are okay with them being that way. I, I have to say in the, in the past week, I've been to Turkey, I've been to Germany, I've been here in the UK, and you don't see anything like the level of homelessness, like the level of, of just squalid urban poverty that you see in the United States today in every major city, in any of these places. And I was thinking, I was, I was driving all over Istanbul. And, you know, Istanbul is a city of 15 million people. It's not the richest country in the world by a long shot. I saw one homeless person. And the streets were cleaner than they are, you know, in San Francisco, which is the richest city, one of the richest cities in the entire world. And why is that? Why is, why is it that in Istanbul, there's, there's not armies of people sleeping on the streets and, and people are cleaning up after themselves? And not in San Francisco, because in San Francisco, people have, have decided that they're okay with it. And they may, they may bitch about it, you know, over coffee and stuff, but, but people are not, are not putting their foot down and saying, you know what, enough is enough. We don't accept this. This is the richest city in the United States. People, there shouldn't be thousands of people every night sleeping in tents on the streets. We should do something about it, not in theory, but in practice. If you, people did that, you could end it in, in a few months, really. But it's because people don't want to do that because people are, at the end of the day, happy to shrug their shoulders. And that's why we have problems with gun violence. That's why we have problems with gangs. That's why we have problems with drugs. It's all these things is because people let it happen. Because it's not affecting them until it does. Until it does. And this is the problem, isn't it? You can sit by and watch these things happen from afar. It's like the school bully. You know, you see the kid right. getting bullied. I'll walk by because it's not me. And then you see another kid and they walk by, it's not me. And then the next day you get a punch in the face from the bully. And if you'd have helped, if more of you'd have come together and stopped that happening, which is what we see in society now across many countries and especially the US, that doesn't happen. And therefore, why doesn't that happen? And it's the same in the workplace. There's microcosms of this happening, the same in families. 
you've got to nip it in the bud. And it's those hard conversations, isn't it? People don't like to have hard conversations. Leaders don't, managers don't, parents don't. Nobody wants to sit down with your kid and go, right, we're going to have a conversation about your phone and who you're talking to, what information you're seeing. We're going to have a conversation about what's going on in our city from a councillor's perspective or a local authority perspective. So why aren't people having these hard conversations? Why is the ostrich effect in effect? You know, that what you just said there is 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 exactly... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher his name and I'm going to butcher the quote, but the, the gist will come through. I think it was Cardinal Niemeyer, I want to say. I may, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, who was a German uh, cardinal during World War II. And after the war, he, he made this famous statement. He said, you know, first they came for the communist, and I said nothing because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the gays, and I said nothing because I wasn't gay. And then they came for the Jews, and I said nothing because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was nobody to no say left anything. to help me. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. That's where we go. You know, and, and it's, it's the, the other, I, I, the other, you know, famous saying of all it takes for evil to triumph in the world is for good men to do nothing. And we see that in all these cases, people are doing nothing. I, I find myself walking around San Francisco these days and thinking, how is it that we have decided that it's okay as a society that things are this bad where people where all the major shopping, you know, high street stores, uh, you know, high end stores are closing, pulling out of the city because arms of youth uh, and arms, gangs of youth are just coming in in broad daylight, unarmed mm -hmm. and just taking everything. And the police don't do anything. And now that the state's even passing a law preventing retail employees from intervening during situations like this, it's crazy stuff. And it's like, how do you how do you get to a point as a society where you're OK with that? It's a slippery slope, isn't it? And it's at what point are you on that slope where you can't get back up? And I think right. that's the caution that we need to all have as we move forward today. Yeah. Well, um, we ended up a long way from where we started. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to know about the future of Red Team. And then I ended up hearing about, you know, it all starts with the children, you know, forget this generation. They are the future. <laughs> are the future. I mean, look, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, teach your children well, right? I mean, that's, that is the future. If there's hope, to me, it's that that people are beginning to see what's lacking and want to want to do better for themselves and also want to do better for their kids if they, if they have kids. Um, but it's it's very hard to turn turn a big ship around, as we all know. But it's a lot harder if most people aren't even willing to take the wheel. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I come back to the name of the the podcast, the Thinking Leader. So we're trying to train people to have the skills, but also the desire to grab the wheel and, and pull the ship in the right direction to say, you know what? I don't care that everyone else is okay with this. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And we talk about this all the time. And maybe this is a good way to finish up. You know, there's a lot of these problems that you look at. And the reason people shrug their shoulders is because they say, oh, there's something, you know, what can I do about it? You know, I'm just one person. I'm not a politician. I'm not in charge. But there's a concept that the U.S. Army developed when it was developing red teaming called My 15%. And it's based on some research that was done in organizational psychology that shows that in any organization, whether it's the U.S. Army, whether it's a corporation, whether it's the city of San Francisco that you're a resident of, in any organization there is at least 15% of, of the world around you, your job, your, your neighborhood, whatever it is, 
where no matter how low and powerless you are on the totem pole, that you have the ability to impact in a direct way. There's at least 15%. And so the, the concept of my 15% is if you're in an organization that doesn't want to change, if you're in an organization that is, that is complacent, that is, that is happy to, to keep careening off the cliff, then focus on your 15%. Focus on the 15% of your environment, your business, your company, your organization, your community that you can influence. Because if you do that, and Marcus does that, and Sam does that, and I do that, then we start to turn the ship around. So, so the question, else. so the question is, I'm going to leave everyone with is, can one individual make a difference? The answer is yes. Yeah. The real question is, is that individual going to be you? Thank you for tuning in to the Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.